My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 127, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Kings 8 and 9, Ecclesiastes 4 and 5, and Psalm 6 and 7. 1 Kings 8. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the Israelite families, to bring up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Zion, the city of David. All the Israelites came together to King Solomon at the time of the festival in the month of Ethanim, the seventh month. When all the elders of Israel had arrived, the priests took up the ark, and they brought up the ark of the Lord in the tent of meetings and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests and Levites carried them up, and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. The priests then brought the ark of the Lord's covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and overshadowed the ark and its carrying poles. These poles were so long that their ends could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but not from outside the holy place, and they are still there today. There was nothing in the ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the Israelites after they came out of Egypt. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud. I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them. Then he said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised with his own mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there. But I have chosen David to rule my people Israel." My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you are not the one to build the temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood. He is the one who built the temple for my name. The Lord has kept the promise he made. I have succeeded David, my father, and now I sit on the throne of Israel, just as the Lord promised, and I have built the temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. I have provided a place there for the ark in which the covenant of the Lord that he made with our ancestors when he brought them out of Egypt. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel spread out his hands towards heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenants of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant, David, my father. With your mouth, you have promised and with your hand, you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant, David, my father, the promise you made to him when you said you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne 
throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful and all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord, my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day. This place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone wrongs their neighbor and is required to take an oath and they come and swear the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act, judge between your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing down on their heads what they have done and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you and when they turn back to you and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land you gave to to their ancestors. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people, Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plagues come to the land or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, or when an enemy besieges them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people, Israel, being aware of the afflictions of their own hearts and spread out their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven, your dwelling place, forgive and act, deal with everyone according to all they do, since you know their hearts, for you alone know every human heart, so that they will fear you all the time. They live in the land you gave our ancestors. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray toward this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the people of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. When your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies, who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestor, toward the city you have chosen and the temple I have built for your name. Then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Forgive all the offenses they have committed against you and cause their captors to show them mercy for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of that iron smelting furnace. May your eyes be open to your servant's plea and to the plea of your people of Israel and may you listen to them whenever they cry out to you. 
Four, you singled them out from all the nations of the world to be your own inheritance, just as you declared through your servant Moses when you, your sovereign Lord brought our ancestors out of Egypt. When Solomon had finished all these prayers and supplications to the Lord, he rose before the altar of the Lord, where he had been kneeling with his hands spread out toward heaven. He stood and blessed the whole assembly of Israel in a loud voice saying, Praise be to the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, just as he promised. No one word has failed of all the good promises he gave through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was our ancestors. May he never leave us nor forsake us. May he turn our hearts to him to walk in obedience to him and keep the commands, decrees, and laws he gave our ancestors. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. And may your heart be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decree and obey his commands as at this time. Then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offering to the Lord, 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the Israelites dedicated the temple of the Lord. On that same day, the king consecrated the middle part of the courtyard in front of the temple of the Lord, and there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offering. Because the bronze altar that stood before the Lord was too small to hold the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the fellowship offerings. So Solomon observed the festival at that time, and all Israel with him, a vast assembly, people from Lebo Hamath to the Wadi of Egypt. They celebrated it before the Lord our God for seven days and seven days more, 14 days in all. On the following day, he sent the people away. They blessed the king and then went home, joyful and glad in heart for all the good things the Lord had done for his servant David and his people Israel. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him in Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I commanded observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all people. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. At the end of 20 years during which Solomon built these two buildings, the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre, because Hiram had supplied him with all the cedar and juniper and gold he wanted. 
But when Haram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. What kind of towns are these that you have given me, my brother? He asked, and he called them the land of Kabul, a name that they have to this day. Now Haram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. Here is the account of the forced labor King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple. His own palace, the terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer. He had sent it, set it on fire. He killed its Canaanite inhabitants and then gave it as a wedding gift to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon rebuilt Gezer. He built up Lower Beth Haran, Balath, and Tadmor in the desert with his land, all as well as his store cities and the towns of his chariots and for his horses, whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and throughout all the territory he ruled. There were still people left from the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hezites, and Jebusites. These people were not Israelites. Solomon conscripted the descendants of all these people remaining in the land whom the Israelites could not exterminate to serve as slave labor, as it is to this day. But Solomon did not make slaves of any of the Israelites. They were his fighting men, his government officials, his officers, his captains, and the commanders of his chariot and charioteers. They were also the chief officials in charge of Solomon's project, 550 officials supervising those who did the work. After Pharaoh's daughter had come up from the city of David to the palace Solomon had built for her, he constructed the terraces. Three times a year, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord, burning incense before the Lord along with them, and so fulfilled the temple obligations. King Solomon also built ships at Ezion-Geber, which is near Alath and Edom, on the shore of the Red Sea, and Haram sent his men, sailors who knew the sea, to serve in the fleet with Solomon's men. They sailed to Ophir and brought back 420 talents of gold, which they delivered to King Solomon. Ecclesiastes 4. Again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of the oppressors, and they have no comforter. And I declared that the dead who had already died are happier than the living who are still alive. But better than both is the one who has never been born, who has not seen the evil that is done under the sun. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom I am toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind.
Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go nearer to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the works of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a higher one. And over them, both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has it. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harms of its owners or wealth lost through misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I observe to be good. That is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Psalm 6, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all of you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness. 
righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing to the praise of the name of the Lord Most High. As we read in 2 Chronicles, we read here in 1 Kings how Solomon was obedient in so many things. It's like a hope rising I feeling. I envision this hot air balloon of anticipation. But then the author gives us evidence of a leak where God is warning about what happens to those who turn away and worship other gods. And Solomon is setting his wife apart instead of bringing her in, as we've read before. This also sets him up for a divided house and a divided heart. And if you already knew the end, that's where this is going. So we have to pay attention to this leaky balloon. We're reminded that while alliances with wives may seem smart and have proverbial wisdom, in some ways, an alliance is not the same as a covenant, a one flesh relationship, which is what God called for his people. He wanted one God. And if they marry one spouse, most likely to reflect that oneness relationship that he wants, right? Reflected throughout culture. Dr. Mackey describes how the point is Haval of Ecclesiastes, this whole story, Haval, I might be pronounced better, Haval, a, a Hebrew word for vapor or smoke. Although the English translates it to the word meaningless, but it's more illustrative if we envision it in the Hebrew sense of vapor, smoke, or wind. It's used 38 times in this book, signifying life as fleeting but mysterious. You see it, but when you like try to grab certain things like wealth or pleasure or happiness, it turns to nothing. It's like chasing after the wind. The author's goal is to make us see ourselves and relate to how this feels, to want justice or to want things, um, to reach for things, but it feels like we can't quite get there. While some say this book was written by Solomon because it does seem to indicate the author is a son of David, it doesn't name the son, and Dr. Mackey describes how whoever wrote it took a Solomon-like persona or teacher persona, but it may not be the same as the author. The teacher in the story helps to use this illustration to point to truths in our lives, how we often spend our energy reaching for those vapors like wealth and pleasure, things that are transient mood states like emotional highs or moments, feelings of comfort and safety, maybe even numbness sometimes, but they're never enough or they don't stay as a feeling long enough. We want more, more often, more duration. These aren't the ways to find meaning or purpose in our lives. It seems to be the point of the teacher. This isn't the meaning and the purpose. That's where the wisdom is. The author focuses on time and death and how time keeps marching on and humanity continues to be human, which is you know problematic in so many ways and also amazing because it's from God. And then the author will talk about death. It's inevitable for all of us. None of us really escape it, right? 
Dr. Mackey describes how time and death often induce us to take actions, like working hard or seeking pleasure, which can lead to stress and duress, and it might lead to wealth, but that's never enough. Enough, and the pleasure isn't enough. So what's the answer? You think at first, wisdom or goodness, but you'll notice as we've been reading, that's also not enough. The answer is accepting, this is Dr. Mackey's interpretation, the answer is accepting that everything is out of our control. It's haval, it's a vapor, but we can enjoy what God gives us, be grateful, remember, share. Marty Solomon adds to this that the real meaning comes not from our own understanding of it all or self-discovery, but self-sacrifice. Enjoy, and if you have the reins, give them over. Give control of this life to God. Give it back to Him. Give the portion of power and control He gave you back to Him. All of us do it. And then give Him acts of service and sacrifice as He calls us to do. Give Him Shema. Remember that Hebrew word. All of our heart, our soul, our mind. Give it all to Him for His kingdom and His purposes. So it's like he gave you a gift and you have a decision. You can try to grab for the wind, for the vapors, or you can give it back to him and choose to represent him and be in the ordered purpose and relationship he already gave you, where we're not seeking to control outcomes like the accumulation of wealth, pleasure, or our own wisdom even, but to enjoy the garden, the earth, the life, the body he gave us as he called us to. But as we talked about yesterday, if there is the option to mourn or be present for another, not necessarily talking or doing anything specific, just being present for another over a party. So Marty Solomon likes to talk about how, and I think it will become even clearer in tomorrow, this comparison of, you know, if you have the option to to go be with someone in the house of mourning, um, which is like they're in lament season of of sadness, or if you can have a feast or party, which one are you going to choose in those moments? And it doesn't mean we shouldn't feast or party. Clearly, this is part of the rhythm of life that God is even creating in his own people. We should, but still, I think there's this thing in our, our hearts we know, and we lean into the advocate, the Holy Spirit, and remember God's words in his scripture, and let them lead you as you act and react, how you enjoy life, but you're willing to sacrifice for God and for others. Uh, I think that's the themes of wisdom that are coming out. I mean, number one, that life just doesn't really make sense all the time, or maybe at all. It's definitely not always fair or as we would want it to be. But there's something really important being embedded here that if we give it over to God, because it somehow got dislocated where we thought we had control and we never did, and that seems to be the crisis of the problem, (laughs) we acknowledge that or give it back to him and we enjoy the gifts, notice them, be grateful for them because joy is different than happiness, right? Joy is a practice and that we're also willing to give up and to sacrifice uh, because joy can be found in that as well because I think God designed us to be that way. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.